We heard today's scripture read during the lighting of the Advent wreath, this passage from Isaiah 11. It's likely not the first time you've heard it read. This is a familiar scripture for this time of year. It's been the inspiration for some famous paintings. My family and I have a painting based on Isaiah 11 in our house. It's a one of a kind, one I commissioned. I sought out one of my favorite artists and the only one I could afford, my sister, and asked her if she wouldn't paint this for my family. She did. It's, it's a great scene. She captured the feel of it. Animals are lying in, I guess, a kind of pasture field. There's snow on the ground, and, and there's a church building in the background. It's also covered with snow. The animals are lying there, and you would think this is just a natural scene if you didn't take the time to recognize predators and prey all lying together calmly on a cold winter's day. To help jar you back into paying more attention, there are two children in that scene, children who look remarkably like ours when they were younger. And they're dressed in swimming clothes in the midst of this winter, this snowy scene, these animals, the church, and two children dressed in swimming clothes. A reminder that something is off here, something unexpected, a a reality that is not what we normally would experience. It's absurd, really which helps us get at Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is the kind of passage that makes logical, unpoetic people roll their eyes and dismiss it with a get-real sentiment. It's the kind of scene that those who are heartened by it confess to be real. The real world, even if it is a world we've yet to fully know, So to be fair, my sister's depiction concentrates on the second half of Isaiah 11, the the idyllic passage, this anticipatory time in our future where we look forward to celebrating what life will be. But it skips over the first half of the chapter, the part of the chapter that reminds us we need a Savior, the part of the chapter that reminds us that Life right now is not predator and prey lying down peacefully together. It's easy for us to be tempted to get to the second half of the scene, this picture where the wolf lives with the lamb and the child can play calmly, joyfully with snakes. We envision this place has been nicknamed the peaceable kingdom and are either filled with hope because of the kingdom that is promised Or we have to suppress the scorn within us that judges the naivete which would think such a place is possible. There are times in our lives when we think as we hear Isaiah 11 read, Yeah, right. And there are times in our lives when we hear it read and think, Yeah, right. That's no different than those who first heard Isaiah's vision. Under siege and despairing, they needed someone to rescue them. It was hard for them to imagine any kind of peace. They needed to be saved from their present circumstances, and they needed hope for a future. 
and along came Isaiah to offer a promise of both. This chapter serves as a dialectic, a conversation between two realities, an honest look at what is happening now and at what is yet to come, which might well be captured if an artist took the time to put it in what is called a diptych. You probably know of diptychs, or at least triptychs, even if you've forgotten the name of them. These are paneled works of art. A diptych has two panels. A triptych has three. Triptychs are often uh, used in iconography. When you take three scenes, you can fold them in, carry them on for future devotion. That's probably how you are most familiar with these. Modiptychs, just a two-paneled version of that. And as I read through chapter 11 of Isaiah, I see it depicted as, as two panels. Two panels that are connected by a hinge. Open the diptych. And one panel reveals a world that is in great need of a Savior. Another panel shows what the world will be like when the Savior has fully inaugurated it. And in our reflection, we're asked to consider that the hinge between the two worlds, what holds these worlds together the Savior who is to come. On one side, he's the Redeemer who has come out of the stump of Jesse, a surprising shoot that has emerged out of what was thought to be dead, a sign that the Savior overcomes death with life. And on the other side is the kingdom that the Savior inaugurates, Eden restored, a place where Even if the animal's instincts aren't changed, the beasts they represent have been. The lion who terrorizes whoever he threatens. The wolf that lurks waiting to strike. Well, they're changed. Changed in such ways that the vulnerable need never worry again. This is the reality we long for. This is the reality we are promised that God will create. Before we get to this side of the artwork, the side we relish so, we have to live in this side. It's on this side where the stump appears to be dead resides. And it's on this side where where it seems there will be no life or hope or future It's on this side where the stump that once held up a massive tree with branches that went in all directions has been cut down or or fallen over. Stump's there, decomposing, rotting away, waiting to be ground up. There's nothing that would indicate that one day a shoot would rise up out of it, but one does. Just in time, one does. And he grows where new life is desperately needed. He comes upon us, as we read or heard from Isaiah 11, as one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord shall rest. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He has a connection with God that has not been seen or known heretofore. And there's wisdom in His judgment. Isaiah celebrates that he is not swayed by popular opinion or emotional evaluation. 
but that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And if that sounds counterintuitive to you, why wouldn't you use your eyes and your ears? Isaiah recognizes that those are easily misguided. We can see what we want to hear. We can what we want to see. We can hear what we want to hear. This one is above that. He sees what is true. He sees the poor and the meek as those who need extra care. He's a judge for whom the starting place is one of understanding of and compassion for and solidarity with the very people who are forgotten, the poor and the meek. He's a judge, we're told, who will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips kill the wicked. Which doesn't sound very good if you're among the wicked but is certainly relief for those who have been abused by them. Those acts that the wicked were capable of in this world will not be allowed in the world that is to come. It is into the brokenness of this world that the shoot has sprung. It has entered into the world where the poor and the meek who are oppressed and mistreated Where judgment will be for those who could not afford it or influence. Where indifference and antagonism toward the ways of the Lord will no longer be allowed. And to this world that has allowed all of that, he will come. This shoot has been sprung. This shoot that we name or has been named for us. Jesus. Jesus. Savior who enters the world to bring righteousness and peace. Jesus who brings life out of death. Jesus who serves as a hinge to the real world that is not yet fully here, but is coming. The world where predator and prey can live together because neither are any more predator or prey. Jesus who is the Savior of both. I have a friend named Kelly. Kelly lives up in Spartanburg, and I got to know her early on in her in her conversion, in her new life in Christ. During those early days, as many of us have struggled with, continue to struggle with, she tried to figure out what it could be like to be part of a kingdom that is not yet and is this strange thing we say about what it means to be with God now and forever. She struggled with trying to sort out both sides of the diptych, the brokenness of this real world and the wholeness of the real world that is coming. It was during those days that she accepted the invitation to go on a mission trip to Nicaragua. She got down there and found herself ministering among those who lived around and even in a landfill. She was walking one day in that landfill, caring for these people for whom 
that is their life. Trying to sort out how it could be that they would have this as their existence. How could God allow it? She walked through that landfill, which is basically barren and a tree growing right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of an otherwise barren trash pile. A tree. And she said it spoke to her, said to her all that she needed to hear, that God has not left. In her words, he was right there in the dump. A shoot has come out of the stump of Jesse and he ministers in places of neglect and abuse And horror because he loves those others forget to. And he wants to love them into a place where neglect and abuse and horror do not exist. And it is in his ministry and it is in his love in those kind of places, those unreal realities. Those who live there receive a sign of another real world. One that's coming. One that has no hurt or destruction or hunger or thirst. We're not yet that not there yet. We're still in this panel. But there's a very real world yet to come. And the hinge between This world and that world is Jesus, our Savior. The one who lives and reigns in both worlds. Thanks be to God for him and for his followers who help to bring his kingdom 